may be seated. And let us join together now in taking our copy of God's Word. We've been reminding ourselves these past few weeks as we take our copy of God's Word that we believe the Bible without any error in it, and therefore it's truthful in all it teaches. With that in mind, we turn together to our passage for this morning, and what we trust is part of our spiritual diet for the week, and we find it in Acts 6, 8 through 15. So Acts chapter 6, 8 through 15. This far along, we are familiar that the book of Acts was written by Luke, and it's Luke's divinely inspired narrative of the birth and growth of the early church. And so far, we have made it to the formation of the first diaconate in the church. We saw that last week, and we see then there is order being installed in the government of the church. We say it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's no surprise as ARPs, it's a Presbyterian government that's being installed. There's a diaconate with deacons to serve the physical needs of the church, and the apostles are overseeing the ministry of the word, the preaching and teaching of the word, and here soon we will see the session come along as well. And so as we prepare to read our passage together this morning, I want us to, as we read through it, to note how Luke is using grammar to tie these stories together. It's a reminder to us that although we are reading these stories separately, They're one story, they're one narrative. We're reading them in in sizable chunks, biteable chunks, if you will, biteable sizes. But it's one big story, and it's good for us to keep that in mind as we come to it this morning. Let me pray for our time together in God's Word. Lord, we come to you in, 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 in humble spirit. We may find, we may think ourselves very intelligent, very astute, but we know that apart from you, and apart from the work of the beloved Spirit, we would not be able to understand your word as we ought to. This is your word, and there is a depth to it that is eternal in nature. May your Spirit be here with us this morning. So we may hear your word as we ought to, understand it as you have intended it for it to be understood, and for it to be applied to our lives where it needs to be applied. This morning, may I simply just be your messenger in this pulpit, and may the people here this morning simply be your people, hearing from their God and being better for it. Bless us in this way, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 6, beginning in verse 8, going through verse 15, we will stand together for the reading of God's word. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and those from Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And he will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. 
gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. The legacy of Stephen is a familiar legacy for those of us who've been in the church for some time. We, we've heard this in, in Bible readings, in church, maybe in our own Bible readings. We've studied this in Bible studies, maybe heard sermons on it. We've, we've had Sunday school lessons, maybe even a, a VBS lesson about it as well. We're familiar with the legacy of Stephen. He's known as the first uh, martyr of the church. Now, he was the first of the early church to die for the gospel. And we talked about the children, we'll, we'll talk more about that as we get into chapter 7. But we're, if we've been around church for some time, we're, we're pretty familiar with the legacy of Stephen. But we don't know a lot about the personal life of Stephen. All we know about is pretty much contained here in chapter 6 into chapter 7. We don't know where Stephen is from. He has a Greek name, so he's probably Greek, somewhere from, from the Greek area, Greek family. He may have been part of the 120 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples. Not sure about that. Maybe he was there at the temple that day of Pentecost and, and he heard for the first time the gospel and believed. Well, maybe that was it. I believe it's more sure that Stephen was part of the early church described in Acts 2, 42-47. That Stephen was one of those who was devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. He was devoted to the breaking of bread and prayers. He, along to others, was devoted to it, attending worship and praising God. And the reason why I think we can be sure of that, because when we get to this chapter, and along to the previous one we looked at last Lord's Day, we see that Stephen was one of seven chosen to be a deacon, but Stephen was the only one described as being a man of good character and reputation, describing his faith. So I don't think uh, Stephen became a Christian on Monday. And on Thursday, they had a congregational meeting to call him to be a deacon. I believe there had been some growing in faith along the way. Because we get to our passage this morning, and Luke describes more Stephen to us. He's a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Which means he's a man of deep and committed faith. He was a man in God's word so he could grow more in the grace and knowledge of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was a man who was undoubtedly a Christian. He was a man who was unshamedly a Christian in the way he chose to live his life for Christ and the glory of God. He is a Christian man. And I would say he is the sort of Christian man that other Christian men should aspire to be like. The, the sort of Christian man that we want our sons and grandsons to grow up to be like. A Christian man that we want our daughters and granddaughters to marry. It's a Christian man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So as we look at this legacy of faith in Stephen, I want us to come back to what I mentioned earlier, and that's how Luke ties in this story with the previous one by his use of the word and. We may have to go back some way to our grammar lessons to remember that and is what kind of word? Conjunction. Some of you got to grammar school really quickly. All right. And so as a conjunction is used to connect words and phrases. So what's he connecting? He's connecting back to chapter 6. Earlier in chapter 6. That a need had arisen in the early church. The Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food and, and provisions. 
And so the, uh, the apostles have to help with the physical needs of the church. So they direct the church to choose seven men from among them. Seven men who are of good character and reputation. Seven men who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And Stephen, along with the other six, are chosen. The apostles set them apart for this work by prayer and laying on of hands by the apostles. And I believe implied in that is that the seven deacons then immediately got to work in their ministry of mercy and need. They went out to help the widows to do to take care of the physical needs of the church. They got to that immediately while the apostles continued their ministry of the word. And in that little sizable chunk, I want you to look back at how uh, Luke connects all that together. He describes all that and then he says, and. So what's happening? It's tying it together. And the word of God continued to increase. And a number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Luke is being a teacher here. He's teaching us that when the church is governed by the standards of God, that the deacons do their ministry well, and the elders do their ministry well, and the pastor does his ministry well, God will bless the church. When the church is devoted to God's word and obeying God's word and being the church as governed by the standards of God's word, God will bless the church. So when deacons deacon and elders elder and pastors pastor, God will bless that church. He will bless it through the word of God increasing. And disciples are being made. And even the most unlikely of people are converted, such as the priests in the temple. Now we come to verse 8. Look in your Bible. And what's the first word there? And. It's another conjunction. It's one long thought. There's really one train of thought. Train of thought is this. Government of the church is set up. Seven godly men are called service deacons. The word of God is increasing and spreading. And what do you get? You get a Stephen. Luke is telling us that when a church is faithful and believes in God, and faithfully obeys God, and does church as they are supposed to, he will raise up people in the church like Stephen. So do you want a barometer of how healthy our church is, or your church is? How many Stephens are in the church? Are we raising up faithful men and women of Jesus Christ? Not Sunday Christians. Not just here and there Christians. Are we as Bethel Arapi raising up Stephens? I think it's easy for us to come to pastors like this and go, but Stephen is a super saint. I could, I could never, I could never be like Stephen. He may feel like a, a, a like you're looking at a, a, a professional baseball player, one of the Atlanta Braves, and you're just a t-ball player over at Drawdy Park. Right? Apples on. There's no way you're playing the same sport, but you're not playing the same sport. The thing is, there's no such thing as a super saint. In the Bible. I would say Stephen's example set in the larger context of Acts is a reminder that he is just like you and me. Stephen was a sinner in need of grace. 
We don't know what his story was before this. But we know this. He was a sinner. And he needed Jesus. He was somewhere well down the path to hell when God saved him. And in that salvation, Stephen went to church. And he worshipped God. He sang the Psalms. He read his Bible. He, he prayed. And when he read in the Bible, he obeyed. He, he prayed for God's will to be done in his life. Maybe in the morning, he got up and started his day with the Lord's Prayer. Every morning, he began the Lord's Prayer. I don't know. But I do know this. Stephen is not set before us as an example, like, like dangling a carrot in front of us that will always just be out of reach. Now, every person besides Jesus, everybody else in the Bible we meet, just like you and me, they were born in their sins and trespasses. They needed Jesus. And they responded to that call of faith. So Stephen is given as an example of what true Christian faith looks like. What it looks like when it's received and when it's lived by and when it's received and it's lived by and how God blesses that faith. We're not looking at a super Christian here. We're looking at what true Christianity looks like. And so Luke, here in our passage, describes more about this. Stephen was full of grace and power. He's able to do great wonders and signs on the people. He was full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. His, his face was like the face of an angel. Wouldn't you like to be described like that? What was James McMahon's like? He had the face of an angel. It's never been said before, but I'm holding out hope. Sometime, somebody will describe me that way. When we look at our passage, it's interesting to note that these descriptions of Stephen comes first, roughly in the middle, and, and last. We can only get so far in this passage before Luke is saying, oh yes, here's something else about Stephen. Luke is doing this to draw our attention more to the faith of Stephen than the circumstances surrounding him. Because maybe we're tempted to get caught up in the circumstances and we want to you know, tisk those people. Right? How, how could those people treat such a good Christian boy this way? Such bad, bad people. Or, or, or maybe we find ourselves drawn to the, just to the humanity of Stephen. Look at how courageous and, and brave and bold Stephen was. But what Luke is doing here is, is wanting us to understand our attention it is not meant to be drawn to Stephen because of Stephen. We're supposed to be drawn to something greater than that. Because what does he say? Stephen is full of grace and power. Stephen is able to do great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Stephen has the face of an angel. This is supposed to get us to wonder, where does Stephen get this all from? He must have great genes. It leads us more to the question of who? Who gives Stephen all this? We know the answer. It's God. God is the God of grace and power. It's God through His Spirit, the, the, the third person of the Trinity, who enables His people to do these great signs and wonders of the gospel. We're told in the book of James that wisdom only comes from God, we're told throughout the Bible that the Father and Son send the Holy Spirit to his, to his people. 
Angels are created by God and sent out as His messengers. So our attention isn't meant to just be focused on, on Stephen. It's meant to be focused on the God of Stephen. That Stephen is a man who was chosen by God, called by God, and redeemed by God. And because of this, Stephen took his faith seriously. He took his walk seriously. And God blessed that faith and obedience. The faith that he had entrusted to Stephen. The faith that he had redeemed, or the obedience that he had redeemed Stephen to be able to do. What Luke is doing here is he's, he's continually pointing to God. Don't just look at Stephen. Look at behind who Stephen. And it's God. He's the God who blesses faithful faith. He's the God who blesses faithful obedience. It's all about God. It's not about just the person. It's not just about the circumstances. And that can be hard for us. How often do, do hardships and difficulties arise in our lives? And one of our first inclinations, we got to look for somebody or something to blame. What this went wrong is their fault. This went wrong is because of the situation. But then when we do honest self-reflection, we find that there are times, maybe a good many times, these hardships and difficulties are there because of ourselves. Why are times hard? Why are things difficult? Because of the lack of our faith and the lack of our obedience. I've, I've joked about this before, but I think there's some truth to it. I think one of the most astute theologians in our world right now is Taylor Swift. Pains me to say it, but I think it's true. Because she sings one line that gets to the heart of it. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. I just want to clarify, I don't listen to Taylor Swift. This is because of my daughters, I know this. But it's true. Somebody says, sure. He, he protested too much. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. That's our condition, isn't it? We want to blame others. But they did this. Situations like this. Now it's me. I'm the problem. So here we find Stephen. Described to encourage us to have a more faithful faith and faithful walk with Christ. I can, I can guarantee you this. When we get into chapter 7, at no point does Stephen say, I'm the problem. Because Stephen had been faithfully walking with Christ. And Luke here ends Stephen's description by saying that all who sat in judgment against him saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, this isn't Luke regaling and rapturous adoration of the beauty of Stephen. He's not describing him as some you know, Greek Adonis, some, you know, the, the eye candy of the early church. When we read through the biblical accounts of angels, we do find they are beautiful. But Morty focuses on how they reflect the glory of God because they are constantly in the presence of God. And that's why we read time and time again when angels come before God's people, what do God's people tend to do? They fall down in worship. And what do the angels have to say? Get up. They're falling down in worship because they're radiating the glory of God because they've been in the presence of God. But the angels said, no, 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 get up. We're not the ones worthy of worship. You shall only worship the one whose glory we are radiating. 
we can think of, of Moses coming down from the mountain, from meeting with God, being in the presence of God. And do you remember what God's people asked him to do? Cover your face. Put on a veil. Because Moses, you have been in the presence of God and you're radiating his glory and it's too much for us. We need, we need a veil between you and us. We need a veil between us and the glory of God. Well, Luke is telling us with the description about Stephen being having a face of like an angel. He's talking about that Stephen has such a close walk, walk with God that it showed his countenance. He didn't have a halo and wings. He loved God because God first loved him. And in that love, he followed him to the good shepherd. And Stephen delighted in one who eternally delights in him. Stephen found joy in the one who is the very fount of joy. And Luke says it showed, it showed all over Stephen. Just to be in the same room as Stephen, people would say, there's something different about that guy. And as Christians, we would say, and that's the difference that I want. That's not a super Christian. That's just normal Christianity. And God blessed Stephen's faith and obedience in such a way that others would see it by just looking at him. To know Stephen was to know someone who loved Jesus and sought to faithfully always walk with him. And it showed all over him. And Luke tells us that some people hated Stephen for this. He's a deacon of the church. He's doing good things. He's sharing the gospel. He's walking close with Christ and people hate him. Look again at verse 9. Then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him and brought him before the council. And they set false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So Luke tells us a place. It's a synagogue made up of the freedmen. These were Jews who were freed from slavery, probably conducted its meetings in, in, in Greek. But they don't like what Stephen's doing. They don't like the message about the divinity of Jesus, salvation alone in Jesus. They don't like a life lived for Jesus alone. They don't like the mercy ministry, the deacons that point to Jesus alone. So they get everybody together, right? Here's one guy. They got to get their whole group together to go and bully Stephen to confront him. And he knows what happens. But they could not understand, or sorry, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. There's no indication that Stephen was an educated man. He certainly was not, he certainly was not in the school of Jesus like the apostles were in for three years. But what Luke is saying here, is in that simple faith and obedience that goes back to Acts 2, 42-47, devoted to the apostles' preaching and teaching, devoted to prayers and fellowships, breaking of bread, devoted to the faith. In that simple faith and obedience, God blessed Stephen to share and defend the gospel in such a spirit-wise way that even the most learned of Jews could say nothing against it. You know why? Because there's no antidote for the truth. And there's especially no antidote for God's truth. So what's their reaction? They lie. 
They can't, they can't handle the truth, right? Like a few good men, Jack Nicholson exploding on the, on, 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 the, on, on the stand. You can't handle the truth. They can't handle the truth of God. So they get to lying. And they say, well, he's blasphemous. He's speaking against God. And as you go through these charges, it's remarkable how similar they are against the charges that were, or the charges that were leveled against Jesus when he was arrested and tried and turned over to Romans for crucifixion. Right? They're both arrested and brought before Sanhedrin. They're both accused by false witnesses. And the accusation is they have spoke against the temple and the law. And what's the end result? They're both put to death. Do you want to know how much the enemies of God hates the gospel? They will kill you for it. All Stephen did was help take care of people in the church and tell others about Jesus. And they're going to kill him for it. And this is his legacy. This is who he is. It's what he's known for. It's what he's remembered for. His legacy is a faithful Christian man who served the Lord in his church even when it wasn't easy. As we close this morning, I want us to close by all of us thinking together through these questions. What will your legacy be? Let's make this morbid. You're to die this afternoon. Not wishing it on you, hypothetically. You die this afternoon. What will be your legacy? When we gather for your funeral on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week, what, how will we recount your life? What will people say about you? What legacy are you building? Maybe we'll gather and say, you know what? They were a hard worker. Always provided for their family. Maybe we'll say, they were very family oriented. And family always came first to them. Maybe we'll say, yeah, they were really good athletes. Do you remember this game, this game, this game? Maybe we'll say, you know, they were really dedicated to their school. Always, always raw, raw for their school. Of course, in of themselves, it's not bad. It's good to be a hard worker. It's good to be family oriented. It's, it's good to give your best at sports and, and to support your school. But if that's all there is to your legacy and there's no Jesus, then your legacy is all for naught. One of the first people we're introduced to in the Bible was a hard worker. His name was Cain. Cain was a farmer. And those of us who know anything about farming know that that's hard work. He farmed and he brought plenty of fruit of the ground before God as an offering. The problem with Cain was that's all there was to Cain. He was just a farmer. Period. There is no purpose and desire of God in his hard work. He just wanted to be a hard worker. And we know how that story ends, don't we? We can think of what Jesus taught. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now we understand that Jesus isn't teaching that we hate our family. Rather, he, he's warning against being family-oriented in such a way that Christ is not at the center and the glory of God is not the goal. 
It's just for love of family, but it's not about Jesus. It's good for us to love our family, but it's better that we, that we love our family towards Jesus. That's our duty and privilege as Christians. That we love them towards Jesus. Athletics and, and schools, right? Anything not done for the glory of God, but rather for the glory of self, isn't good. So again, I ask you, what would your legacy be? What would you be known for? When your life is recounted, what will people say about you? Yeah, I, I, hear, from, I hear from parents and grandparents and their worry about the world that they're sending their, their kids and, and, and grandchildren into. And I understand. I've got three. It's a very fallen and sinful world out there. But I don't think our focus is meant to be on worrying. I think our focus is to ask the question, are we raising up Stevens? Are we raising up our children in our family in the church to be devoted to God, devoted to His Word, devoted to living for Him, devoted to loving their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbors as themselves? Is that what we're raising up? Are we just raising up hard workers? Be family oriented, excel in sports, and be rah rah for your school. Are we raising up Stevens? Which means we have to ask ourselves are we aiming to be Stevens ourselves? The best, the best answer to the, to the world around us, and for our town and for our community, not for us to worry, but to take upon the example of Stephen. To set our face towards the Lord. To have our faith in Christ alone. To be in his word. To be in prayer. To live by his word. To walk on the path that he set before us. To have a, a faith and life that shines forth the very glory and goodness and love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For us to, to live in such a way that we set the example for others and for us to raise our family in. I think a question we need to wrestle with right now, very much in, in this time, is the Lord blessed us with VBS this week. What are we going to do next? We had a gaggle of children and a gaggle of adults. What do we do with that? And the answer is here. Stephen. To be faithful like Stephen. For the, for the sake of our family, church, and community. And we set our eyes upon the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To be devoted to him. To have him first and most in everything in our lives. So that God would use that faith and life for him to be glorified. And for his gospel to continue forth. Because... Isn't that what we want our legacy to be? Someone who loved Jesus and lived for Jesus and it shone forth from them in every part of their life. What a legacy that would be. Let's pray.